Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, um, didn't realise how much I liked Cats until watching this film. <laughs> and joining us tonight, he is the director of such films as Road Games and the upcoming Fright Fest closer, A Good Woman is Hard to Find. It's Mr. Abner Pastel. Abner, hello. Hi there, how's it going? Very well, sir, and thank you very much for doing this. Uh, yeah, this is a film I haven't watched in a little while and uh, it was quite a different experience to what I remembered. I, I, I watched it again over the weekend as well and uh, I think it held up. But yeah, it was a slightly different experience. <laughs> yeah, I kind of had the same thing. I hadn't seen it since the first time I saw it, which was around about the time it came out. But yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, Abner, you've gone for uh, 2009's The Collector. So um, you came up with this pretty quickly when we talked to you about this. So uh, why this film? I, I made this choice because, uh, I mean, when you told me to choose a movie, it was the first one that came up because I remember people didn't really like it. I mean, obviously it had some sort of following and it had enough to produce a sequel and now I read recently they're actually making a third part yeah. to it which is interesting but I mean like critically it seemed to be quite sort of like panned like people didn't really respond to it in I, I, kind of unfairly but it's just a film that I really liked in terms of the the atmosphere and the sound and the performances even mm-hmm. I think especially the setup of the movie I think is really really great very very strong um, and then it kind of veers a little bit into the torture porn territory and admit and but the thing is it 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 suits the movie at the same time it's not i don't know i, I just i really like this movie and um i think that like the kind of the torture porn elements are very much of its time and very much of the people whose name are on this thing because obviously it's you've uh marcus dunstan and patrick melton yeah and yeah. Of, 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 like, at this time all these guys were making were saw films so um i think it does feel kind of like a very natural extension of that Yes, well, I mean, the interesting thing about this movie is it was actually originally written as a prequel to Saw. Uh, yeah, I saw this, uh, uh, the, uh, the Midnight Man, I think it was actually uh, called. Oh, right. Yeah, I think that's what it was called, yeah. But it's interesting because I think it was rejected by the studio, but then they repurposed it as this new, I, this new concept. Uh-huh. And it, was, it feels very much like it's, it's, it's in the same sort of like universe as the Saw films. Yeah, I, I think so. Especially kind of like the kind of like mid sequels kind of range where everything was just extremely kind of like uh, harshly lit and really grimy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's exactly. a very similar kind of color palette to certainly run about Saw two and three, I would say. Yeah, and this and one of the things actually that I really love about the movie is its color palette and its grungy, grainy feeling. It feels hot and sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally it, agree. It does that and. And 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 that's some, there's something about the texture of the image that I, that makes you kind of feel the movie, if that makes sense. So oh, I think yeah, that's yeah. One, of, one of the aspects to it that I really like. That combined with the sound design, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, I really like it. <laughs> also, what a soundtrack! Soundtrack is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing. 
<laughs> um, Adler, I don't know if you've listened to the show before. We do uh, make everyone that comes on do one thing. Uh, there are people out there who'll be listening to this without having seen the collector. So yeah. um, what we're going to do is uh, Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to give you a count of three, and then we're going to ask you to, if you can, give us your best 30-second synopsis of the collector. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, uh, are you good to go, and I'll count you in? I'm good. All right. Three, two, one, go. It is about the collector is about an ex-con who uh, is working on repairing a wealthy man, a wealthy family's house, and uh, his ex-wife uh, gets into trouble with a loan shark. And in order to uh, help her out, because his wages are not enough, he plans to rob his wealthy employer's house uh, because he knows that there's uh, valuables inside that he can he can get get to uh, time. Uh, Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Never underestimate how fast 30 seconds disappears. That went by way too fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were taking your sweet time. You were just leisurely strolling your way through that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's jump in, though, because there's a lot to get through here. And um, I, I like the pre-credits, sorry, the kind of the opening of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, very much. Because it feels totally, uh, it feels obviously like um, for a long time after it, it feels kind of totally separate from the events of the film, eventually ties in. But I think like um, in terms of setting the tone, it gets it pretty spawn yes yeah i i think the i I really like the opening Uh, i like that it's this just this guy and this woman coming home they're a bit pissed up uh the guy's obviously got uh designs to make an amorous evening of it um but instead finds an upright shipping container thing like a i don't know what you would call that shipping chest (laughs) yeah uh in his living room and i think that visual alone of that chest in there is pretty fucking unnerving (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, kind of like very abruptly, he's kind of like very abruptly kind of grabbed from behind, and well, we're straight in. But well, the, the 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 chest thing kind of shakes and rattles, and like he goes over and like investigates it. I would leave the house, and burn the house down. <laughs> and just, I definitely wouldn't open it. No, nah, yeah, I just I deal with it. I deal with the insurance problems down the line. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable. Um, but yeah, ultimately he's he's kind of grabbed from the back and we're straight out, and then into um, something that is at least initially way more tranquil. What the credits? Uh, no, not the credits. Jesus Christ, no, they're not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty uh, pretty intense. Because I, I read that uh, this was really like heavily inspired by Seven, and then the credits start, and you're like, oh, yep, yep, I can see it now. <laughs> I can very much see where the Seven influence comes in. And I'm um, straight from this, we're kind of we're into the kind of main story, and very quickly we meet Josh Stewart as Arkin, our kind of protagonist here. What do we think of him early doors? Both, so he's pretty, like, played here by Josh Stewart. What I really like Josh Stewart. Uh, he's a man of a million roles. <laughs> Anytime you could flick on it, just about anything, Josh Stewart pops up in it for even like five minutes. Um, yeah, what do we think? Of, what do we think of both um, how the character is sketched out here, and also, yeah, what he's doing performance wise here? I quite, I mean, I quite like his introduction, and uh, his performance is really kind of like downplayed and subtle. But there's something, there's something interesting about the setup. Once we get past the intro and that cra- the crazy intense sort of title sequence, <laughs> it, it slows down a bit and. Uh, I feel like we connect enough with his character in a very short space of time to care about his predicament. Um, I think that's down to his performance. I mean, that's the way that I feel about it. I don't know how you guys react to it. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. I, I think he, the, the, this character is sketched out in a really, really kind of subtle way that he's dealing with all this. Right. Like he's essentially, is it, I'm, I'm, I might gather Lisa's his ex. Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, yes. Yeah. So, that, that's what I. That's. I mean, that's how I remember it in the movie. Yeah. Uh, they, they, so he's the. She's the ex-wife. So they have a child together. <laughs> they have a daughter together. So he. Um, he obviously uh, helps them out by giving them payments or whatever. But I think his money. His money. From his recent job is not enough because she's in trouble with some loan sharks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is an interesting sort of like surprise in the story, really, because him, he himself is an ex-con, and you don't really understand how she gets. He never really explores how or why she's she owes these loan sharks the money. She just does. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's quite it's quite a sweet relationship he's got. He's obviously a guy who cares very deeply about his daughter, and I guess that's kind of what leads him to. Right. Constantly put himself on the line to save Hannah later on. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly because there, there is that they have the, a brief moment early on where he that he shares with uh, the girl from the house. Oh, the, 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 yeah, that, um, the little tea party scene. That's quite sweet. I think that this. I think that this film leaves certain questions unanswered and that I think are interesting. Like you say, you don't know the background to why Lisa is in the financial trouble that she's in. Uh-huh. Also, and I could be wrong with this. I don't know if. Oh, as you said, he's an ex-con. I don't know if you ever find out what he did. No, you don't. Um, I mean, I, I can't remember because, like I said, there was there's a sequel. I think it may explore that further in the sequel. I don't remember, but I like how in this film, how yeah, he's he's just an ex-con. You just don't know yet what he did or whether it was yeah. something that he got mixed up in or like is he evil? You know what I mean? It's like you don't really know. Well, he seems like quite an accomplished cat burglar. I was gonna say, yeah, like um, if it was a betting man, I'd say that, yeah, but yeah, he probably was a, he probably was a thief, exactly. He probably broke into people's houses and stole money from their safe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably, yeah, based on the evidence we have, I would say that's fair. It certainly seems like he's been used for his uh, certain set of skills, yes, uh, by uh, Roy, the guy for a minute who for a minute I thought was Charles S. Dutton. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I think that, like you say, I mean, I, I think that he's he's sketched out very sympathetically when you see him kind of uh, obviously working on the house and meeting the Chase family, whose home yeah. we're going to be spending most of our time in here. But also, yeah, like you say, um, his relationship with his ex-wife and his kid, and um, you just I, feel like you feel like he cares, and yeah. that comes across because of his performance. I think he, I think it's uh, it's it's really down to his subtle sort of approach to the character. I think it's also kind of important that the film does this in terms of uh, framing him if he's going to be framed more sympathetically as it unfolds because obviously what he's going to be doing is kind of morally sketchy. So I think right. that, I think that it's important to give you a grounding that he's a good guy and he's doing it for good reasons kind of thing. <laughs> it, I mean, it it feels, it comes across that way. To, that, that's the way that I interpreted it, especially like the panic of how urgent it is that, that his ex-wife needs this money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Sort of like, he comes up with this idea that he's going to break into the house tonight, like right now. And in, in, in the way that he does that, you really feel his the urgency for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think also you're kind of onto something where he's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it tonight. I think that the film doesn't fuck around, get into where it needs to be for the setup, really. No, no, no. And I think, uh, I don't think the decision's so much... Arkins though is, is Roy when he kind of corners him in his limo yeah, you, you know you're never in for a good time when some shady guy takes you into the back of a limo in an alleyway yeah um, but he like, he, he like burns his hands with a lighter and stuff and that's just yeah. the beginning of a shite night yeah exactly actually that's um, it's interesting because uh, because that happens and then it, nothing is really made of it again later on in the movie I mean all kinds of things happen to his hands during the movie but <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> yeah um, but uh, I don't think that uh, I don't re- I don't think that they even make a, an issue of the fact that he has a burnt <laughs> hand. 
no, when no. he gets. I tell you what, I really like, and I'm, I was jumping forward a little bit to the scene with the car uh, and the, the alleyway. But I really like. I don't know if it's digital, but the the singeing of the hairs on his hands. Yes, that was pretty fantastic. I mean, there are lots of those little moments in the movie where they close ups of certain things that you wouldn't expect, and I think that those are things that I like from the movie that that enhance the film. I think in terms of uh, like injury detail and stuff like that this 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 film stuffs nastiness into absolutely every available crevice (laughs) i think now is maybe a good time to discuss this this might be the most violent film we've done on the show i would say that's quite possible i would say that that it's i had forgotten precisely how nasty this film is yeah (laughs) i have to say um, I did too, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was totally blown away by how nasty it was. Uh, it's a very, very mean-spirited film. I actually don't think... I think the, the sequel, The Collector, kind of finds its fun a little bit. Yes, it's it definitely feels more like, like an entertaining version of what this is. I mean, not that this isn't entertaining. It's entertaining in a different way. I think it's, I think it's because the sequel uh, veers closer to the Saw films in the style of the way that they're done. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Whereas, Whereas this this is sort of like the really grungy version of that universe. Whereas you know what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, when I, when I sat down to watch it, I kind of remember I was kind of like, oh yeah, this is kind of like kind of trashy, exploitative fun. And after an hour, I was just kind of sitting absolutely ashen faced, being like, oh yeah, actually, what this is is a series of escalatingly unpleasant things presented in an extremely unflinching fashion. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's like so heavy for so much of the time that I think it's like almost a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It 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 could have used a bit more humor to sort of like level out the tension because it just keeps sort of getting more and more and more intense, and you're like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, is ever gonna let out, and then and then it just sort of ends. And it's like, oh my god, <laughs> it just yeah. builds, builds up, and then it, it just sort of like that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it offers you virtually nothing in the way of catharsis at all. But I, I think uh, what the one thing that really keeps you from being completely bummed out is I think the invention of the traps and stuff yeah. is, a, is a good kind of distraction for kind of right. refocusing you a little bit. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that, yeah, I think that um, it probably stops it from ever getting too kind of nihilistic. <laughs> it's pretty nihilistic, though, really. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think, I think at this point, uh, just very quickly, because obviously we've kind of established a lot of the things, but uh, maybe doing a quick uh, whip round of the Chase family. Yeah, Michael, played by Michael Riley Burke, perennial dad uh, and everything. Uh, he was also much in a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a favourite film of ours, but he was in Slender Man. Oh God, no, it's, it's a film I've certainly seen. <laughs> And immediately forgot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't think that I think that of the kind of Chase family, I think that you know way less about um, the parents than you do about the children. I think that they're they're both kind of like uh, they're kind of I don't want to say stock characters, but they're kind of just here for a lot of the time. Because well, yeah, you, they're not given any time to sort of like to connect with them. No, um, as, uh, yeah, it's and I suppose they kind of just it kind of just blows through it because you don't really need to. No, exactly. I mean, you True. just um, there's a brief moment where you, where the the husband gives the he doesn't he give him like extra money at the beginning. Josh Stewart's character Arkin, he gives him some because he he saw that he connect was connecting with his daughter. Yeah. So there's yeah. that brief moment where he shows a little bit of compassion. He gives him a bit of a bonus just because he knows how hard it can be to have a kid. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's slips, right. Slips him a bong that's and and that's really that's really all you learn about Michael Chase. His wife, you learn, is a fan of home Botox or fillers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's her that's her entire character yeah they each get one trait he <laughs> he's he's paternal and she's vain <laughs> but, 
but the thing is that like they, neither of them are, are particular. They don't feel particularly nice. Agreed. Like, agreed. Des- despite despite his brief nice moment towards Josh Stewart's character, it's like they just feel quite mean spirited in general. I think, and there's no there's also no no real explanation about why their house has been chosen by the collector to set these deadly traps inside. Also true, yeah, yeah. Like, like, what, like why he's chosen them. I think that uh, you're kind of onto something there and that you kind of see uh, Michael being nice without necessarily being likable. Because when you see him giving him the money and being like, oh, I know how hard it can be, this, it's, the money's for the kid kind of thing. Um, yeah. I was quite surprised by that because right before that, like say you have the kind of the scene where Arkin sits with uh, Hannah, yeah. uh, the Chase's um, kid, and they do the tea party thing. And when Michael yeah. walks in on that, the look on his face is kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, no, he, walk, yeah. he walks in right at the moment where Arkin grabs his daughter. <laughs> so you can see why he might be a bit like, sorry, what's, what, what's going on here? <laughs> But he's only trying to save her from a, a spider. Yes, no, exactly. Um, speaking of which, can I get some? Can I get a read on the significance of this? This house is festooned with weird insects. What's going on there? I don't know if it's any more full of insects than any other than any average house. I think it's just. I think they include. To me, it feels like they included it to enhance the atmosphere because it definitely does uh, set the tone of the movie. Yeah, maybe I, it's something to do with the fact you know, like the collector itself is like. Is it a human or is it a, some kind of weird creature? You know, they never really sort of explain who or what the collector is either. I sent it's, that text to Mitch only today asking, is the collector supernatural? Yeah, I mean, it could, it could be. <laughs> I mean, I think it would explain a lot of, I mean, we'll get to it as it unfolds and we kind of, I was going to say learn more about him, we don't, but like, uh, but you see a lot more of him. It's like, yeah, I think it would explain a lot of the kind of physics of it because he is a little bit kind of unlimited powersy to be a human, I think, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing is, of course, he set all these traps, but like, does he remember where he put them all? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there are so many. Cool. I know, he just seems to like glide through the house without... <laughs> being affected by any of them mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think the, the the traps in the house i mean they are this must have taken a long time markin's only been away for i know that's the other thing that's funny it's like he leaves the house and he comes back a few hours later and is fully booby trapped house that must have taken a week <laughs> yeah I, I thought the same thing i was just like i don't know much about the collector but he's certainly a very handy engineer slash joiner yeah <laughs> Some of the traps he's built have got full gears and wires and like all sorts of mechanisms. Very, and... very intricately planned and, yeah. It's, it's... It is possible that this is a relic from the fact that this used to be a Saw prequel because this is a, this is a, a kind of logic consistency question that people often throw at the, sh- uh, the Saw franchise when it's right. like, um, oh, if this is all the work of one guy, and obviously in the fullness of time you realise that it isn't. But it's like, yeah. um, if this is all the work of one guy, then how is he building these traps that take up an entire room in a warehouse and have like three different motors? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's possible that I think that that's kind of a leftover from that. But then you could levy that exact same. You could just pass that straight onto the opening scene in the collection, where it uh, builds the massive kind of threshing machine in the nightclub. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I I don't remember the movie as clearly as this one, obviously, because I just watched this again recently. But yeah, I do recall that. Yeah, I've, I've got a really hazy uh, memory of the collection as well, actually. I need to go back to it. Um, so just to ground this very quickly, for anyone that's, that, for anyone that's listening that hasn't watched the film, basically, yeah, uh, we've got Arkin's ex, Lisa's in financial trouble. He's resolved that he's going to um, kind of solve this or help solve this by um, stealing a ruby that is uh, housed in uh, the Chase home. Sure. I... <laughs> 
I can't think of any other film, and I can, and I will be wrong with this, but off the top of my head, I can't think of another film that has done home invasion like this before. Um, in that someone breaks in and somebody nastier is already there. Home Alone. Very <laughs> 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 uh, good. Uh, you know what I mean, though. Right. Okay. Kind of like home invasion on home invasion. In a sense, this um, this is probably one of the earliest ones. I mean, there was obviously uh, there are there have been versions of that concept. Yeah. I think. Well, I was immediately thinking I don't breathe. No, I'm kind of thinking about like, uh, but he's he he kind of he lives there. I'm kind of talking about it's like there's somebody broken in. And there's right. Somebody else, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think this is probably the only one that I can think of that is actually that where you where you take a thief breaking into a house, but then there's something worse inside the house. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. Someone's kind of beating you to it, if you like. Yeah, I could be wrong with this. See, so obviously he kind of he breaks in, he starts kind of skulking around, picking locks and things like that. He hears a presence in the house. The collector is in the building. When this happens, is it a little bit of dead bodies everywhere by Corn? It here? certainly is, my friend. I wondered if it was. <laughs> yep, sung by the vampire Lestat himself. Yeah, Mr. Jonathan Davis, right enough. But I I really like the fact that once this kind of kicks off, it it's such a it's such a sudden gear shift. Yeah, and it's so nasty, so fast. And just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, the scene with the cat is pretty intense. The scene with the cat's fucking horrible. I I remembered it, but I thought it was glue. I don't. I, it seems to be much more acidic than just it's glue. So, but like, what is it? Because why is it not already eating through the floorboard? <laughs> yes, this is my question. That's like alien blood. It's just so. It doesn't make any sense. I don't even know what it is. It's just like it completely disintegrates his shoes. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, then, but not the floorboards. I know. And half <laughs> and a, a cat. Nothing's made out of it later on. It's like, you would imagine that like the house would eventually collapse or some crazy stuff from whatever that is. Yeah. It's like, surely the floors would just fall through. Yeah, we'd have eaten through the foundations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this because you get this kind of, this beaten and bloodied shot of uh, Mr. Chase. He sees Arkin. He thinks he's responsible. Then now, this part of the film is very, very dark. I watched this three times. To try and suss out what happens, is he is he dragged over the balcony by a motorized foot tie? Uh, <laughs> I, oh. He is, yeah, yeah. Which is then severed by a pendulum blade, and then he falls and hits the deck on the ground floor. What's your point? And yet he survives that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually survives. <laughs> it's a. Uh, the collector's thought ahead because he's actually rigged that trap up to uh, Mister Chase's golf bag. Right. <laughs> That's definitely a classism commentary. Definitely. <laughs> um, I, one of the kind of like, and like I say, this film is, uh, there's loads, of, obviously there's loads of big set pieces. I think the things that really make you squirm are the smaller things. Yeah. Um, this, when he tries to call for help and there's a spike in the phone, that is, I genuinely recoiled from the screen when that happened. It's absolutely fucking disgusting. Yes, I mean, I mean, when any kind of like spikes or needles like going anywhere near my ears or my eyes always creeps me out in any movie. Yeah, pushes my buttons as well. But then he rockets right out of that disgusting thing into the window frame. That's yes, exactly. Of- he tries to pull pull off the the board or something, and then basically he sticks his hand into some blade or something. Razor right? blade. There's like razor blades attached to the window frame. Yeah, yes. I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking horrible. And Mitch, I'm surprised you like this film because what we've got going here is the early stages of a deadly game of cat and mouse. I do hate deadly games of cat and mouse in general. <laughs> um, I mean that is true. Um, but yeah, he also like so he come he kind of comes out of this very narrowly avoids garroting himself on piano wire, and I think that this um and. 
you obviously see the room full of bear traps at this point, uh-huh. which is seeded for later. A whole load of things you get, but I love the fact that it shoots around the traps so quickly that you see them, but you immediately forget them. You don't remember when they crop up and get people later. Yeah, that's right. I think that actually, I mean, in amongst all the discussing stuff, there's some really fucking cool stuff in here. Like, see, there's a, a moment where lightning flashes and it reveals the kind of web of tightly pulled wires in the room just for a second in the flash. I think that's an amazing shot. I mean, it's, the film is filled with amazing shots and especially there's the, 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 a couple of really incredible angles above the where that, that look directly down, like bird's eye view shots that sort of like switch between the rooms. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Early on in the movie, actually, I think that's the, the first time that we see the collector in the other room when, when they're sort of like, when Arkin is, is dodging him from one room to the next. It sort of like just glides across the room. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, it's, ve- it's very stylish. Yeah, you kind of follow them. They're kind of almost doing like this kind of choreographed moving around each other uh, through yeah. various doors and rooms and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the collector then? Yes, how his general look and and who and what he is. Because what do, what do you think of him, Mitch? Uh, I think that I I really I like to say we've talked about it. I say that I think I think the fact that um what he does plays out in this kind of like this series of booby traps ways basically stops this from being an exercise in abject misery. <laughs> um, and I think that all that stuff is really cool as an actual villain. I don't know. I don't know if I find him necessarily that compelling as a presence. Okay. Um, but I think that. A lot of the stuff that happens that he is obviously responsible for is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that, like I say, he's a little bit physically indomitable for my taste. Although, like you say, that could play into the notion that he might not be human or that kind of thing. Aesthetically, I think, all right. But um, certainly, like, I like the kind of unremitting nastiness and microcosmal nastiness. It's very specific and it's very targeted and it's very mean. And um, I think that it's compelling in that way. But I think in terms of, like, as a screen presence, I'm not so sure. Okay, Abner. Uh, I'm kind of on the same page as you. I, I, I think um, I don't really find his character that compelling. Right. It's more about the traps that he has set up, rather than him as a character or it as a character, whatever it is. Like we we were saying, is is he or it supernatural? Is it human? We don't really know, and it works in both ways. It's, it that could be good or or bad because maybe it would be interesting to sort of like elaborate on his character yeah yeah i mean uh he certainly has what appears to be glowing eyes right yeah he, his eyes glow so and then there's that weird moment as well i think it's i think what it is is so that um arkin can go oh it was the exterminator guy from earlier but i think it's a missed opportunity because the collector seems to be very clearly kind of balding at the back and presumably looks a bit fucked up Mm-hmm. I think it was a missed opportunity not to get a little bit of humanity from him. Yes, yeah, exactly. And maybe, I don't know, I like the aspect of not knowing why he's chosen this house or why he's doing what he does. But, you know, if we did get a hint towards that, it might have enhanced the movie. Yeah, although I do I do agree that sometimes kind of like something feeling totally totally uh, motiveless and random is scarier. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of like the strangers. The arbitrary yeah. nature of evil. Yes, thank you. Um, but what I will say is he seems to have a perfectly spherical head like me. <laughs> Uh, so I kind of relate to him in that so maybe you are the collector oh god is that what this is maybe maybe you watch yourself (laughs) I think that again obviously once he kind of comes back to the house and the robbery kicks off this is effectively kind of a chamber piece it doesn't venture far beyond the house after this I think considering that's the case it does a lot with it and I think that you kind of 
get reminded or kind of your first kind of look at some or kind of road signs for some things that might happen later to ratchet up the tension because obviously you get this conversation in the basement where um uh mr chase michael has been like kind of uh tied up arkin kind of checks in with him and you get a read on where everyone is and it's like jill their air quotes delinquent daughter is out could return at any time Presumably has no idea what's going on. Yeah, played by Madeline Zima from Californication. Ah, is that where I know her from? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that and also obviously kind of like Hannah's in the house somewhere. You get very quickly after this, you get uh, Mrs. Chase in the bath is the, and with duct tape stapled to her mouth. A face? Uh, to her face. eye, I think. I think it's duct taped to her eye. Oof. <laughs> to the to the to or to her eyebrow or like there's a reason why he can't take it off because he needs to be able to clip it off because if he pulls it it'll I think it it will rip the skin of her face or something I think it was it was it's pretty gross yeah I was gonna say this is this, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about it's like that's the kind of thing where it's just like that is an unpleasant visual and situation already but when it's just it, the film like, always think- throws something else in to make it just a bit nastier. Exactly. It's just, I mean, it's just the thought of him taking it off. You don't even need to see anything. Just the thought of him, just seeing that it's clipped there is enough <laughs> for you to feel, oh shit, that's disgusting. And kind of, kind of, like on this, in, the, in the same kind of vein, when she screams to create a diversion so Arkin can get upstairs and he kind of threatens to cut her tongue off with the pliers, he doesn't need to do it. Just like when you see it, the visual's yeah. already there and you're kind of, your imagination does the rest. But it almost feels like a surprise that he doesn't cut off. True, yeah. yeah. It's a it, kind of it feels like he's in the process of cutting off her tongue and it cuts away. And when, he, and when, when Arkin comes back later, she's talking to him. So it's like, oh. It's almost like, oh, he didn't cut the tongue off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I actually, I actually have written down, did he cut off her tongue? Question mark. <laughs> we get reunited with uh, Larry, the, uh, the man, the kidnappee from uh the pre-credit scene here and uh, oh, yes. when he finds the big red box and opens it and the bloody larry emerges i kind of roll my eyes a little bit when larry explains the collector's motive as simply being he collects people <laughs> yes it's a bit um it's a bit, th- uh, it's, I a think bit it's, it's a bit weak yeah it's a bit thin i think <laughs> yes like it, it paints with such broad strokes that i think it's hard to it's it's hard to really get swept up in that but only one at a time, so it's not really a collection. Well, it's just a very long-winded collection because he kills everybody that he doesn't want. But then it's just no. But that, that's why the sequel takes it into the next territory, where it's like, oh, actually, it's not just one person; it's more than one person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just after this, we find out that Michael is dead. He has been gutted and hung up, and he's his time is over. Arkin rescues Victoria from the bath and tells her, "Look, we're going to get out of here." One thing I will say to you, though, is uh, certainly don't look over there at your dead husband. The first thing she does is looks at her dead husband. and <laughs> What did I just say? Yeah, and screams the place down and finds herself stabbed to bits. Yes, by the collector who returns. <laughs> yeah, he stabs, he stabs her to bits here, no problem at all. I think you're, you're right to say that cutting out the tongue might have been a... There's nothing compared to that, arguably. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's um and kind of it's it is at this point that we get the scene we we're talking about with the cat. This is like front to back fucking horrible, and like um so, like say, say, say nothing of the, of the of the weird physics of the acid. I like the fact that Arkin is at some points here kind of like a total kind of worthy foe. Like he uses his head once he gets into the idea of the situation and he realizes that everything is potentially something that could kill you. Yeah, I think that I like the fact that he kind of like he makes mistakes, but also he's not an idiot either. Yeah. And I think that, like when you see him kind of trying to work his way through this situation, it kind of like you can kind of understand where he's coming from. But it is like a particularly kind of like brutal kind of sting when he thinks he's rescued the cat from the acid, throws it up <laughs> onto the windowsill, and it activates another trap, and the cat gets cut in half. 
like yeah, and then blood squirts all over his face, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm just like this guy cannot catch a fucking break. But it actually reminds me about that scene. Um, uh, coming back to that weird acid thing again, I I remember that. So his shoes are like um, stuck to the floor and they rip apart. But then, right. and but then he he manages to walk across by putting books down and tiptoeing <laughs> across the book. Like, how did the books not get completely? Dis- <laughs> It's it's a, it's a bit far fetched. It's like he's come back to rob the Chase family's valuable jewelry and also their collection of the world's most durable books. <laughs> Those could be worth more, perhaps than, than even the ruby. Maybe there's some sort of hidden message about uh, the longevity of books, <laughs> <laughs> the permanence of physical media. Now, I I was taking notes at one point, um, and I was kind of looking at my pad, and I glanced up. Did I see the collector sewing Victoria's face up? Yes, very graphically. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I mean, that's a kind of blanket term for this film, really. I mean, all of these disgusting moments are not what I like about it. It's but it's it's, a, it's the idea around them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. No, no, no. I, I I agree. By the way, worth mentioning the effects work in this is actually pretty good, and it's by yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah, it's, it is very impressive. By Gary Tunnicliffe, who did Hellraiser and a bunch of other stuff. So. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Jill returns uh, Jill the daughter returns at this point with their uh, horny man friend <laughs> um, again this is just a, this is um, I don't know I quite like this the, the kind of it's it's an old slasher trope obviously yeah. of like promiscuous teens kind of thing the death here is multi-leveled and I know we said we talked about the fact that the nastiness of this film isn't necessarily its appeal in this moment I think it kind of is <laughs> I love that this guy's just literally just been added to up the body count. Yeah. <laughs> we have no stake in this character whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, he's probably the one character that you are quite happy to see die because you, you, you've had no relationship with him. And... Yeah, you, you, it, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Just, just a good way to show off one of the traps. Yeah, and he's just essentially a, a, a walking douchebag boner. Anyway, that's his kind of whole character um yeah i don't know you, you say one of the traps i there i think there's like there's maybe three stages to his death i yeah. also think that like because he stabbed through the knuckle which almost made me physically sick <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh so he's got one useless hand and then another uh perfectly placed pendulum blade lops all the fingers off one of his other hands but i think it possibly um in terms of effects and a death and spectacle i think that the possibly the crowning moment of the film comes from here with uh, the room full of bear traps yes <laughs> i mean it's such a good setup like from the first minute you see it you know it's not going to go to waste oh absolutely yeah yeah but, but you, uh, do kind of, you do kind of forget about it for a while and then and then when it happens you're like oh <laughs> i did find that a little difficult to stay on top of the geography of the house um because <laughs> i think they i think they take some liberties i think they uh they definitely it gets a bit yeah it does get a bit confusing about where which floor things are on like the house sometimes feels bigger than it is and sometimes mm. it feels small yeah you don't really understand the geography sometimes they'll go up a flight of stairs no problem and then what looks like the same flight of stairs has nails hammered through all the steps um, yeah also there's there's times where uh you'll end up back in the basement and i was like well that is not where i thought we were on the map <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a lot of scooting up and down the stairs I know, considering it's a house full of traps, it seems quite easy to get around sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jill's death is pretty good as well, but I think it's also the one that I think is kind of like the most preposterous feat of engineering in the whole film, but I do think it's hilarious. 
<laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, but yes, you should have trusted Arkin. I mean, everyone should have trusted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, uh, he he kind of like uh, tries to help her escape. She doesn't trust him. Reaches for a set of scissors. This could not go worse. It, it seems like such a bizarre mechanism for a trap. But I'm I'm left a little bit baffled by the physics. <laughs> I just try not to think about that. Yeah, it does require some suspension of disbelief. What preposterous! <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually thought it was pretty realistic. By the way, like you can see what you like about Arkin, right? He's obviously trying his best here, but he is not backwards and coming forwards. He constantly takes the the collector on head first. For the, I'd say the, the last 15 minutes they spend a good portion rolling around the floor together <laughs> yeah that's true uh, yeah no he's, like, he's, he's pretty game I think like uh, pretty much the entire time he does he does kind of try and make an escape at this point and then kind of uh, that paternal instinct that we got uh, kind of snapshot of at the start comes back on him and he spots Hannah in there and he's back in for what kind of what kind of feels like it should be the final showdown I think that um, where this film's momentum starts to derail is kind of after the face off that happens here between Arkin and the Collector right okay yes. what in the bathroom I mean, uh, yeah yeah. I mean it's, it's interesting because like he does get that chance to escape yeah, and he actually does escape but because he sees Hannah the girl in the window it's sort of like like you say it's his paternal instincts to go and help her mm-hmm and I feel like from that moment onwards is where it's really sort of like doesn't really know where to properly take the story. I mean, I think the ending is a good ending and I think it's the right ending and it gets where it's got to go. But I feel like the last kind of 10 minutes are a little bit... Yeah, there's a slow there's yeah. a slowdown before it gets to that point. I do want to talk about there's because there's some there's some incredible stuff in the time when he goes back, finds Hannah and is trying to um, kind of get them out of there together. Uh, most notably, because I think, again, kind of we're talking about Arkin being a kind of worthy foe for the Collector for quite a lot of this, kind of hatches yeah. this this plan that feels like total genius when they have like her ready to uh, smash the aquarium and hit the TV on the ground and kind of electrocute him, which I, I love the fact that the film lets you think that's worked for like a split second and then you realise that, um, yeah, they wasted the good surprise on Larry because um, he's been again, used as like Batman rounds. Again, a very stylish shot that's like as if it's the the, the floorboard, right? So oh, yeah. it's like he falls down into the water and is, we see him getting electrocuted. And that moment, actually, at that point, it's just so preposterous. It actually always makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's so over the top. It's so over the top. We also notice at this point, that suddenly at this point, that the collector has a bit of a mean line in knife throwing. Yeah. Right? And a never-ending yeah. supply of knives. Yeah, where did he get those knives? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have like a knife belt on. But uh, another really disgusting thing here, and this is the bit that probably freaks me out the most in the film, when they finally get into the bathroom and lock the door behind them, and it's like loads of little fishing hooks hanging up, and like one gets snagged in his eye. Oh yes, again, well, like just with the <laughs> phone or with the with the spike in it, it's one of those things that just uh, I can't take those. <laughs> uh, more of them in his hands as well. He's just his hands are like fucking meat. And speaking of mince meat, not to be outdone here, the collector decides he's going to get into the bathroom and uses uh, Larry's head as a kind of meat ram <laughs> to kind of bash the door down. Essentially, minces him through the keyhole. Yeah. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> It's um and I actually think that like um obviously he, he kind of gets that he gets the better at Arkin and we, and when 
what happens next with Arkin, kind of, I don't want to dig too much into it because we're talking a lot about the kind of nastiness of this. But um, the the kind of torture of Arkin is absolutely horrific. Actually, just complete side story. I um, my rewatch of this was uh, spaced out over maybe three different sittings over the last couple of days. <laughs> um, <laughs> this portion of it took place on a train. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, what I would characterize as a fairly busy commuter train. It's been a while since I watched something extremely inappropriate in a public forum. But um, there, I strongly feel like there was somebody. You know, you know that thing when you're on a train, you see somebody watching something, and curiosity gets a better of you. And you're like, all right, what are they, what are they, what are they watching there? And you kind of look over their shoulder. Sure. I feel like somebody did that to me, uh, <laughs> right around the kind of hooks through hands and uh, teeth chisel stuff. Yeah, I think this is the the moment where the film is the most egregious and it's torturey stuff. Yeah. Up until this, but I think this is the point you're talking about, Mitch, where the film kind of loses its, uh, where it becomes a bit more of a bummer. Uh, yeah, I think it gets it gets kind of almost excessively miserable here. I think. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's approaching. It is approaching the end at this point, so it's sort of like it's at, at that moment where it feels like we it could use um, a bit a bit more humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit of, a bit of bombast wouldn't have gone amiss. It's a weird time, I think, to slow things back down. Right. Also, see, does the coll- is this the collector's dog that we meet at this point? I believe so. Yeah. Um, particularly well-trained and savage dog, but Hannah narrowly escapes the dog. Um, a policeman, not so lucky, receives a, a torn-out juggler. Correct, yeah. Police arrive on the scene. The, I, I, I like this death, actually. Um, but again, it's just one of those things. It kind of reminds me of um, Funny Games, the thing in Funny Games, where you get this knife that's repeatedly kind of seeded mm-hmm. that you think is going to be this kind of weapon that's instrumental in its success. And you see somebody almost connecting a 911 call a couple of times in this. When the police eventually show up, you kind of think that it's going to kind of recenter, and then that policeman is immediately, instantly offed by that dog. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that when we eventually see, because one of the traps that you get kind of, when I was talking about earlier, is kind of glosses over a lot of the traps, um, and you see the chandelier with all the knives hanging from it. Right. Rambo knives. Yeah, really cool visual. Kind of cool that they use it on the collector. <laughs> yeah, not, not so silky smooth in his uh, ability to remember where he's put all his own traps, it seems. Because this one, uh, he's caught wrong-footed with a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty smart thing to do because Arkin positions a mirror, reflects him and the little girl in it. The collector foolishly blows up the mirror, which also blows a hole in the door conveniently. And then, uh, yeah, he is impaled on his own chandelier of death. Yeah, chandelier to death. I think it's nice to finally see that playing out. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like uh, that was that was the one I kind of been waiting on. <laughs> I, I I wasn't. I was waiting for the bear traps. So anything after the bear traps is is fine. By Gravy me. at this point. Um, I love the fact that obviously because the, like, they they kind of escape after a fashion, right? And um, I love the fact that the film teases a potential happy ending. Uh, yes. Before literally driving a truck into it. <laughs> Well, because you feel like he's escaped, he's survived, he's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be okay, she's going to be okay. Nope. No, fuck them. (laughs) Fuck them all. I actually think that it's possible that the only thing that the film lets you away with is that Hannah doesn't die. Right. Yeah, I mean, mean, you kind of, you kind of, you almost forget that that happens because it's so mean spirited everywhere else. (laughs) She might as well, her life's ruined. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ! She she is going to grow up fucked, Mitch. I'm sorry. Like she's going to be an absolute mess. That is, that, that's 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 what the Collector Three is going to be about. Oh, maybe. But so yeah, so it's great because it ends basically with Arkin being collected by the Collector, and so he um he ends up 
uh, being put in his in his trunk in his box. And did you stay until the end of the credits because there is a post credit scene? Yes, there is. Yeah, and yes, I did. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 nothing really, but it's uh... it's probably the only time in the movie that has a bit of humor. This post credit scene because it's of the collector sitting on the trunk that's you know that's moving back and forth with Arkin inside just yelling i'm gonna fucking kill you i'm gonna fucking kill you and that's it <laughs> and then he just kind of he just kind of kicks the trunk and he's like shut up <laughs> yeah exactly and then cut to black and it's such a it's in a way it's just such a ridiculously funny scene i i find it funny i, I feel like the, the movie could have had a couple of those moments in yeah. actually in the middle of it, 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 it I, I agree it's, it's literally the film's only laugh <laughs> <laughs> And it's after the credits when most people probably haven't even <laughs> stayed to watch. Yeah, every, every, everyone will have just, um, everyone at that point has just fled the theatre, I think. <laughs> or they're just sitting, the only people that saw it are the people who are too just like bummed out and fed up to move. Yeah, too broken to get out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great, but what, what, I, what I love about it is that, you know, if you, if you just think of the film as its own self-contained thing, ignoring the fact that there is a sequel or whatever, um, it just ends without him having solved his ex-wife's problem, yeah, and fuck. that's it. <laughs> like you don't even know what, like what, what's going to happen. It's like completely becomes completely irrelevant. Yep, and but also, yeah, also, literally every possible negative outcome probably happened. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, Hannah could have died. That's like about the only thing that could have made it worse. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't know, this is a really, really interesting selection. I hadn't seen it in a really long time. I don't know how hastily I would have... No, I mean, I liked it, and I remembered liking it, but I don't know how hastily I would have uh, would have raced back to it if you hadn't yeah. mentioned it. But um, Andy's right enough. I think that this might be one of the most like outrightly miserable films that we've talked about uh, on the show yeah, in am, 61 episodes. So a badge of honour for you honored, there. I am honoured to have that. I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, selected that. <laughs> it's possibly the most miserable and possibly the most violent. I... Like I say, this was this was bleaker and nastier and played it with a much straighter face than I remembered. I think that once I realized that the film I was watching wasn't the film I remembered, I like it quite a bit, but I do, for an 80-minute film, I find it a real fucking slog. <laughs> um, because there's, like, a, probably from around about the half-hour mark until kind of just around the time the escape kind of thing it's so unrelentingly bleak and like i say so kind of specifically and microscopically nasty like it's yeah. nasty on a molecular level <laughs> that that's um i i totally agree with that and i think i think the length is good because if it was any longer then it would be too much but the first 30 minutes for me are probably the reason why i like the movie hmm. it's really to do with the setup and like i said the atmosphere and everything and I think once we get into that middle section between half an hour to until like I guess that around sixty minutes is about half an hour mm-hmm. of all of the traps and the the torture and everything and it, uh, that yeah I agree that's the part of the movie that feels like the slog more than the setup yeah uh, but there are some clever moments in there but uh, it does feel like it goes on a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really love the film. Yeah. Um, but it had been a minute since I'd watched it, and uh, going back to it, like like I said, I, I was taken aback at how dark and miserable it is as, a, as an experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think there's enough goodwill in the tank come the kind of hour 10 point mm-hmm. 
from the traps and the the kind of invention of the stuff around the house to keep you going till the end and for it not for the the fact that it kind of loses its way slightly in the last 10 minutes not to really affect too much certainly not yeah certainly not for me i think any any stumbles it makes i think it's it's done enough good to to keep me interested I think that's kind of interesting and kind of the sounds like what you're saying is kind of the reason that the trap section works is because the first act does so good with the character stuff mm-hmm. and the reason that the ending kind of gets away with it is because the trap section is so entertaining. But I would say the same about a lot of the Saw films. Like a lot of the Saw films, I think, like five, six, seven, I think are pretty terrible. But you watch yeah. them for the traps and it's the goodwill that the, the kind of traps build. Even the shittest trap is still better than watching a police procedural with Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Abner, you have been a busy man. And a big one coming up. Um, a Good Woman is Hard to Find. A new film, Closing Freyfest 2019. Uh, following some pretty amazing stuff in the last couple of years, like said, Tragedy Girls, Climax, stuff like that. It's great. It's, a, it's, it's an absolute honour to have been given this uh, closing film slot with my new movie. Yeah, I'm, uh, what can I say? I'm, I'm very excited for people to see the movie. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about it? Um, yes, sure. It's, um, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, uh, for anyone who doesn't know uh, just a little bit about the plot of the film and how it kind of came is, together. Yeah, it is a, so it is about a uh, recently widowed young mother of two kids and uh, it explores how far she's willing to go to protect her children while she uncovers the mystery of uh, who murdered her husband. Oh, and that is, that is it in a nutshell. She will go to extreme lengths to look after her children. Is she willing to go to the same lengths as Arkin? You'll have to wait and find out. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the lead in this is um, uh, Sarah Bolger, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The, the fantastic Sarah Bolger. Very, very brilliant actor. What can I say? Um, it was amazing to work with her. I hadn't seen her in anything until at Fright Fest a few years ago. Um, I saw her in the lead in Emily, and I thought she was absolutely amazing. Yes. Well, if you thought she was amazing in that... Oh, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> just a, just a, a quick aside as well, just kind of talking about previous things that you've done at Fright Fest. Uh, you've done something that not many people have, I wouldn't say, and that's uh, come back in two different years of the same film. Yes, exactly. In 2015, I was the world premiere of my film, my first film, Road Games, and then I returned one year later with the same film. That's <laughs> <laughs> so Um and I'll explain why that happened, actually. It's because uh, it was released on the Fright Fest Presents label. Right. Um, and so uh, it was. It just so happened to be released on that weekend. Mm-hmm. And so they invited invited me back. And so I actually did uh, a live commentary of oh, the film. Oh, right, okay. So there, was, uh, there were two screenings. There was, uh, there was a screening of the film by itself. And then there was a, a separate uh, live commentary where I was talking with Alan Jones and uh, my lead actor Andrew Simpson over the movie and it was recorded but mysteriously the live commentary has disappeared oh nightmare so only the people who were actually present would have heard it Ah. but it was it was good yeah it's just I can't think of anybody else that that's happened to it's interesting and Road Games is on Shudder still yeah it is on Shudder yeah in the UK and uh, it's uh, I think on Hulu in the States oh cool okay and um, if anybody wants to keep up with you and what you're up to where can they get you on social media Um, they can just find me at Abner Pastel on Twitter and Instagram sweet okay pretty easy uh, Anna, are you uh, you going to be in person at Fright Fest this year? I am definitely going to be there. Cool. I will also be there for the entire time, so I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing a good woman's heart to find, and um, I'll have to grab you for a pint as well. Perfect. Sounds great. Thanks very much for doing this, man. Cheers. 
Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So I think that we did a pretty good job of keeping that light, considering that's such a heavy film that we're talking about. <laughs> it could have been worse. Do you remember the time we approached a potential guest to come on and they suggested doing Men Behind the Sun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think it would be a really good conversation about the nature of horror. It's like, yeah, go have that on someone else's podcast, please. <laughs> yeah, like, what? can't really see the funny side in this. I'm I'm looking for the whimsy and I can't see it. (laughs) However, big thank you to Mr. Abner Pastel joining us to talk about The Collector. And uh, yeah, fun revisiting that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I say, I'm I'm really looking forward to The Collected. Yeah, certainly. And I'm glad they made the name change, to be honest, because remember they were flying about The Collector 3. Yeah, which would have been dumb when when the second one was called The Collection. The internet was just like, just call it The Collected. Yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, yeah I'm glad about that and um, if anything that Abner was talking about at the end there does sound interesting don't forget Road Games available now on Shudder and through uh, Fright Fest Presents yeah I like I like Road Games and I, I kind of hope I'm there for the close I mean I was there at Fright Fest for Climax last year so I'm kind of hoping I'm around for yeah. for this one but yeah if you're if you're heading to Fright Fest this year yeah Good Woman is Hard to Find closing things out on the Monday so uh, very exciting looking forward to seeing that sounds really good I hate the last film at Fright Fest. There's always a mad kind of somber atmosphere. Yeah, there's a kind of sadness in the air. But yeah, I'm sure that uh, it's going to be a good one. We're looking forward to it. And I suppose that's just about it, isn't it? Yeah, episode 61. In the bag. And mini-sode 61 will not be far behind it. We're back on Monday. All the usual stuff, of course. We'll be taking a look at your feedback. Charting my voyage through the Shotwaves 100. My interminable voyage through the Shotwaves 100. It's a slog. I'll yeah. be honest with you. This yeah. has been. This has been. I'm. I'm. I'm tired of it. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but when we're doing the minisodes now, like, I always forget to do that. But that's true. I do need to keep. I do need to keep reminding <laughs> yeah. you. So I have to edit out you going, Andy, shockwaves. However, <laughs> uh, we will, of course, be talking about what else we've been watching, and we will, of course, also play another round of Mitch's pitches. So Hooray! it's not all bad news. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I think we'll be back in sequel territory next week, Mitch. Uh, yeah, it's looking a little bit like it. Watch the space for more info hint, hint, on that spoiler one. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, give us some chat about The Collector or pretty much anything else you can do through loads of different channels. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yes, and we love that you're listening. Please continue to do so. Um, you can listen to us in a myriad of places, but why not try Podbean, our mm-hmm. home, our hosts? Or the kind of big heavy hitter lads over at iTunes and Spotify, both of whom uh, have their good points and their bad points. So go to Podbean. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening as well. Again, we say it all the time, but without you guys, there wouldn't be any point in us doing this. Uh, It would just be me and Mitch sitting talking in a room, which is what we do when we're not recording anyway. So... (laughs) Uh, I don't know if that, is that a good thing I don't know where you're I don't know, where <laughs> I don't know what the point this. is <laughs> anyway thanks for listening we love you we'll be back on Monday with Minisode 61 join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads goodbye <laughs> I was trying to think is Mitch going to put a quote in from the collected here but I think if you did it would just be ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh god please ah! in the meantime don't forget I'll kill you <laughs> goodbye bye You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.